Man, well, good morning. Uh, I got a question for you folks, okay? How many of y'all, oh, yeah. Am I good now? I just turned. You'd think by now I'd have that down, right? You'd think by now I'd have a lot of things down. Um, So how many of y'all have had a rough week and you're looking forward to having a day off tomorrow? A few of you guys? Okay, a few. What is the meaning of the special day tomorrow? Anybody? Yeah, it's Memorial Day, right? I remember the story uh, of a little boy who approached the preacher after church on Memorial Day, or the Sunday before, and he asked, Sir, what is it that we're celebrating tomorrow? And the preacher said, Well, today we, or tomorrow we remember those who, who died in the service, son. And the little boy's eyes got really wide, and he said, Whoa, the early service or the late service? <laughs> of course, we know, we know what it really means is that someone died in the service, it's referring to military service, okay? And on Memorial Day, we commemorate those who gave their lives in the service for our country, and surely each person who fought and died on on behalf of this nation, they, they knew, they knew that there was at least a risk, that there was a potential that they were going to be killed in combat. And for taking that risk, we honor those who, who didn't make it back to us alive. But how many people, just just think about this, how many people do you know that joined up for military service knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that they were going to die in that service? You know, one of the most wonderful things about the coming of Jesus was that he was absolutely certain of what was going to happen when he came here, and yet he came anyway. On top of that, he he didn't die fighting. Think about this. He didn't die fighting on behalf of his friends, but he died suffering on behalf of those who were at the time his enemies. Think about that. That's what this passage that Everett read this morning reminds us of. You know, it's... On this Memorial Day weekend, I, I, I hope... I hope that you will not only thank the Lord for all of the men and women who have faithfully served this country and, and, and the, thank God for, for the, the freedom and the nation that we live in that was purchased by men and women who knew there would be a risk of dying, but also thank and praise Him for your freedom from the power of sin and death and the gift of eternal life that was purchased for you by the precious blood of His Son, Jesus, who came for the express purpose of dying on your behalf. Just remember that. Now, if you would, please turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. And while you're turning there, I'm going to turn off my ringer here in case it's on. Okay, we're good to go. I'm going to give the, the kids a chance to look for some bingo pictures because there's a bunch um, while we do a recap of next, last week. Um, Peter's message, which was contained in Acts chapter 3, verses 13 through 36, was preached to a group of people that were milling around him and uh, the Apostle John, in awe of the fact that they had just given, well, God through them, had just given a lame man the ability to walk. And the first part of that sermon, which we looked at last week, contains the good news about Jesus Christ. And Peter informs the crowd that Jesus, whom they called for the death of, was the Christ, the Messiah, that they've been waiting for all this time, and also God in the flesh. 
And he alludes to the fact that, that Jesus' death was the substitutionary atonement to pay for man's sins. And then he explains that God raised Jesus from the dead. And that he and John and multiple other eyewitnesses saw this, uh, saw this risen Christ, saw him alive again. They were eyewitnesses to this account. And so the purpose of sharing all of these magnificent truths was so that people might believe, right? He told people about Jesus so they might believe in Jesus. And then upon their believing, Peter tells them that, that what they are supposed to do next is, and that's where we're kind of getting into it today. Now, I just want to share this. You guys probably already know this because it's sort of a commonsensical thing, but Scripture gets pulled out of context so much, I think it's fair for us to just go over this briefly. Whenever we see a sermon or a message in the scripture, we should always take into account what is the context, okay? Who is speaking? To whom are they speaking? And what is the original intent of the message? We need to figure all that out before we try to universally apply uh, those things. And so, in other words, we shouldn't assume that God said something specifically to us just because God said it to someone in the Bible. A great example of that is Exodus 32, 27. You may want to write that down and look it up later. We're not going to go there right now. But Exodus 32, 27 is a good example of God telling someone to do something specific that he did not tell everyone to do. Uh, so some things that God said were intended for a specific purpose, for a specific group of people, in a specific situation. But when it comes to sermons in the book of Acts, church, they apply to us, okay? They apply to us usually in very much the same sense that they applied to the original audience. Now, how do we know that? I mean, that's a valid question, right? You say, well, okay, Mark, how do we get to pick which, which sermons apply to us and which ones, you know, no longer? Listen, first, because of who is speaking, okay, this is Jesus' apostles, so that, that's the first thing, okay? That, that, that's a pretty clear... Second, because of who they're speaking to. They're speaking to a general audience, first to Jews, and then later in the book of Acts to Gentiles, which parallels our situation very nicely. Thirdly, because the intent of the message is to proclaim this, this amazing gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is and what God did through him, and then to tell people how to respond to that. We can look at those things and say, these are for us. Because clearly there is a universal need for every person who walks the face of this earth, and that is for salvation in Jesus Christ. So, what Peter says in this message has application not just for his original audience, but for us as well. Um, so we're going to start in verse 19. Um, do you remember what two words last week uh, we added as a teaser? Anybody? Do you remember? From verse 13. You disappoint me. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> Repent, therefore. Repent, therefore. Okay? And, and so, in other words, knowing what you know, this is, this is Peter basically saying, knowing what you know about who Jesus is and what God has done through him, here's what you need to do. Repent. And we talked, you know, a couple of times we also talked last week about what repentance is and is not, okay? Remembering, it's not the same thing as, as apologizing, confessing, nor is it asking forgiveness for sins that we're planning to commit, okay? That the very essence of the Greek word that's translated repent is change mind, okay? I know I've said that a lot, but I really want to make sure we're all on the same page. Meta, noia, metanoia, change mind. 
Okay? And that's important. It has to be understood. We, we have to realize this, that, that moral behavior is not what changes the hearts and minds of the person who is performing these moral deeds, okay? Now, it, it, you got to understand this. It's completely possible, completely possible to do things, do things that are morally good. I'm putting air quotes on that, at least for a time, without it affecting your inward being, without it, it, it doing anything with your heart, with your mind. And, and, and what, what is impossible Okay, this is important. What is impossible is undergoing a drastic change of heart and mind without it affecting your behavior. You can change your behavior without it affecting your heart and mind for a while. You cannot change your heart and mind without it affecting your behavior. Can't happen. Change on the outside can be a result of fakery or simple you know, behavior modification. But change on the inside will always, always result in outward signs of that change. So repentance overall is a mental shift that starts perhaps with a change of mind. Now we're going to read this first paragraph. You know what? Let's open, let's open with prayer. Father God, I just ask in Jesus' name that each person here is good soil. Please, Lord Jesus, please open our hearts and minds. Help us to be responsive Help us to be good soil. Let, let the seeds take root and bear fruit. Father, I, I pray that we don't choke them out, that we're not rocky, that we're not stony-hearted, that we're not hard-packed earth. I pray that we are good, fertile soil. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. He says, repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Now, I realize, I know that I talk about repentance a lot, okay, which I will absolutely not apologize for because it's absolutely necessary, but sometimes it can make us feel beaten down when we lose sight of what the positive aspects are of repentance. You know, we, we sometimes hear the word repent and it makes us feel crushed. And so today, I, I really hope everyone here is able to recognize the many blessings of repentance. Okay? And there's some pretty awesome ones here. So we're going to start. I'm just going to ask you a question. How often do you think you sin? Just think about it. How often do you think you sin? All the time? I'm not talking about the ones that we, we normally, like, you know, think of when we talk about sin, like, you know, stealing, killing, cheating on your spouse. I'm talking, about, I'm talking about the sins that the church probably isn't concerned enough about, like, like gossip, like pride, like vindictiveness, like little white lies, as if there were such a thing. What about losing your temper? Do you think maybe you sin at least once a day? Okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would say, this is from personal experience, that once a day would be an incredibly optimistic number. But just for kicks, okay? Um, I don't know about you folks, but, but the first time that I remember being convicted of doing something wrong was probably around preschool age. So, so let's call it five, okay? So from the day I turned five until today, there have been 14,722 days. That's a lot of days. 
And some of y'all have, what, like four times that many, I think? <laughs> Just kidding. The, the point is, the point is we have sinned. We've sinned a lot. But notice the first blessing of biblical repentance is that our sins are obliterated. Obliterated. Think about that. That's, that's the literal meaning of the Greek word that is translated blotted out in English. Not just hidden, not just, you know, swept under the rug. They are blotted out of existence. I mean, think about the ramifications of that for, for just a moment, you know? Even in the Old Testament, we see, we see hints in the prophets and in the Psalms that, that God would pass over the sins of his people because of his, his steadfast love. You know, he would throw them into the depths of the sea. They're as far from us as the east is from the west. We see these these beautiful passages, but it wasn't until we have the testimony of Christ on the cross that we realize what God was willing to do to forgive his enemies, to forgive us. And, and it, that's when we first got to really see at what cost to himself God was willing to do this. Now, for those who truly repent, and We'll talk about what that looks like in a bit. The first, the first and perhaps the greatest thing that happens is we lose the stain of guilt and, 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 and the, the debt of sin because Jesus paid them for us, right? And to be extremely blunt, that means the repentant sinner who turns to Jesus, who turns to God in faith through Christ, escapes the penalty of God's wrath against them, which, which is, is awesome <laughs> because his wrath is big because our sins are bad. And, and those people who, who are repentant sinners will be able to avoid an afterlife of sorrow and of hellfire and darkness and the gnashing of teeth. That's pretty amazing. It's a good benefit, right? We go from being God's enemy to being his son. I mean, how is it possibly going to get any better than that, right? Well, Peter tells us how. We don't just escape the punishment that we deserve. On top of that, we'll receive times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. Y'all, doesn't that sound good? Doesn't it sound good? Refreshing. You know, uh, you ever been outside working real hard and um, you suddenly realize that your throat is parched, you know, you're starting to feel kind of weak, and, and then you, you come inside, and, and nothing in that moment tastes as good as a glass of ice water. You know, I know some of you are probably going to disagree with that. My dad used to say a beer. Ugh! <laughs> Frankly, sorry, Dad. <laughs> sorry. Uh, nope. Not even iced tea, nothing. Not even Dr. Pepper. Nothing tastes as good as that refreshing swig of ice water, especially when the ice is kind of all melty in it, you know, and just slides down. There's something so good about that. And have you ever noticed how often in the scripture God is compared to refreshing water? I mean, think about it. You know, as the deer pants for what? The water. So my soul longs after you. I am the living water. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and drinks, he'll never be thirsty again. Whoever believes in me, he says another place, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then we have this beautiful picture in, in, in the, the book of Ezekiel of the temple with this river flowing out of the temple that brings life wherever it goes and it gets wider and deeper the further away it gets. What an amazing 
allegory of the life of God. And one of these days, church, I hope that all of us will truly understand, not just here, but but in here, we're going to understand that there is nothing else, there is no one else that can satisfy the thirst of our soul the way that God can. But when we're turned away from him, when we're, when we're living in rebellion and sin, we're like, we're like a man that's in a life raft that's drinking salt water because he's thirsty. You know, all it does is make the thirst more painful, and eventually it kills him. You know, but but God's, God's presence is like a pure mountain stream that this, it's, it's cold and it's clean, and it revives anyone who drinks of him. Taste and see that the Lord is good. So repentance brings forgiveness, it brings refreshing, and it also prepares us. For what? Anybody ever been in the Boy Scouts? Anybody? Boy Scouts? You remember the Boy Scouts? Clean and thrifty and all that other stuff? (laughs) Yeah, trustworthy, brave, loyal. You know, this is back when there actually were Boy Scouts, I guess, because it's a little different now, but... I, I was a Boy Scout, briefly, in the mid-80s, and, uh, but only for a few months because our meetings were on Monday night, and that was when MacGyver came on, and we didn't have a VCR, and so I finally chose MacGyver over the Boy Scouts, because who wants to know how to tie knots when you can learn how to build, like, an atomic reactor out of, you know, whatever, MacGyver, but, so, I learned some very cool survival skills from MacGyver, okay, so, but, but for you former, you former Scouts, what was our motto, do you remember? Be prepared. Always be prepared. For what? Anything that could happen, right? Well, repentance prepares us for the return of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? I mean, when I think about Christ returning, this probably sounds kind of dumb, but I I often think of bumper stickers. Um, And one of them was the one, I've mentioned this before, not everybody's heard this, but my sister used to have this stuck on her bedroom door. It said, live like Jesus rose, or excuse me, died yesterday, rose today, and is coming back tomorrow. I thought that was a very neat bumper sticker. And it might still be on the door for whoever lives in that house now. (laughs) It's a great reminder. You know, for those of us that that sometimes, you you know, we, we start getting choked out into fruitlessness by the worries and by the cares of this life, you know, there's an urgency to the good news about Jesus and the fact of his imminent return. That is a fact. That is not a a story. A fact. He is coming back. The second bumper sticker that I think of this cleaned up a little. He says, Jesus is coming back soon, and boy, is he mad. Now, y'all, I I know that someone probably intended that to be funny and to poke fun at the truth, but folks, Jesus is coming. Coming back. He is coming back and he will not be pleased with sin. Whenever the Father has ordained his coming and when he does, it will be wonderful for those of us that belong to him. Wonderful, but it will be terrible. Absolutely awful for those who do not belong to him because God's wrath remains on those who do not have repentant faith. There's only, there's only an expectation of judgment. It's food for thought. They are unprepared for Christ's return, but, but for those who are prepared, for those who are prepared, we will be blessed to see the restoration of all things. 
Now, I don't, I don't know if you realize, I don't know if any of us realize just how awesome that's going to be, how amazing. Have you ever been awestruck? Like when you, when you, you go outside and, and you see the stars when you can actually see them. You know, in McKinney, there's so much light pollution, but you get out in the, in the wilderness somewhere, you get on top of a mountain, when you can see the stars on the horizon from end to end, you can actually see the Milky Way. Doesn't that blow your mind? Or when you, you see a, a beautiful sunset. You know, yesterday Brent and I were, were headed off to pick something up in Anna. And uh, we were in, in the car. And, uh, and he's got this convertible. It's really sweet. Anyway, so we're in this car. We're driving down there. And he says, man, it feels weird to be sitting with a guy and say, look at that beautiful sunset. But look at that. And I reached out and I put my hand on his <laughs> And he's like, ah! So, yeah. No, it, it, you know, but, but it's true. It's a beautiful sunset. It's incredible. It's gorgeous. That's because God is an artist. He's amazing. And you, you get your mind blown when you see a lightning storm. You know, something that's, uh, as I've heard recently, it's an inch wide and six miles long, launching from the sky. There is a God who made this. <laughs> Scripture talks about about the, the, uh, the stars in the heavens being the, like the works of his fingers. It uses a term that's like needlepoint. I think of God, uh, uh, you know, hanging Christmas ornaments almost in the sky, you know? That's, that's powerful. God created all of that. The heavens declare the glory of God. Behold the works of his hands. You know, you can have your breath taken away by things of beauty in nature. It's such a staggering just beauty in creation that it's just, it's all right there. Y'all, what, what we are, what we see when we go outside, what we hear and, and we touch and we taste and what we smell today is just a shadow. It's just a hint of the perfection that God has designed us for. I mean, think about this. If something, if something that has fallen as our creation, as something fallen can be so gorgeous and moving, imagine how awesome it's going to be when God returns everything, when Christ comes back to earth and he restores it to its fullness. I love Revelation 21. I love Revelation 21. I'm going to read this just obviously toward the end of the Bible, right? This is when, when Christ returns to earth and we read, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And the first heaven and earth had passed away. And the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. A very few of you were there at Hillcrest Christian Church when Shannon and I got married 22 years ago this Saturday. And I remember when the doors opened and I saw my bride come out in her dress. You know, talk about breathtaking. Um, and even today, <laughs> um, beautiful. But it, it, you know, I, I think about the, the bride and how much love the husband has for the bride. And how beautiful the bride is. And, and, and anyway, John goes on. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away 
every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write this down, for these things are trustworthy and true. Y'all, <laughs> I mean, even, even you, even me, along with the heavens and the earth, we shall be restored to the glory of perfection. And, and, and you know, I can't speak for you, but I'm pretty stoked. I think that's going to be pretty amazing. So, so then, if, if these blessings, if these are all part and parcel to repentance, then I guess it's pretty important for us to have some idea of what it is to practice repentance so we can do it, Right? Right? Thank you. So, so then it'd be, it'd be good for us to know what repentance looks like. Well done. So we know the word repent means change mind, okay? Because we've already discussed that. But frankly, you married folks know, even somebody you know really well, you can't read minds, can you? Nope. Gets you in trouble sometimes, doesn't it? Right? We can't read minds. You can't read my mind. I can't read your mind. Okay? We understand that. So, you can't observe what's happening in my heart either, right? You can't see that, right? So, we can only observe the fruit of whatever change has occurred. And that's where we get into the phrase that Peter attaches directly to repent therefore. He says, repent therefore and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, etc. Okay, now bear in mind, okay? That is a cause and effect statement. The word that, in that verse, it means in order that. So, so an integral part of repentance is turning back to God. Now, if, if, you've, never, if, if you've not ever been facing God, if you've never been, been looking in a God-word direction, then the phrase turn back may be a challenge to understand. So I, I think perhaps the best way to understand it is to think of it as a military maneuver. Those of you military folks, what's that word that means turn and go the other way? About faith, right? 180, okay? The first act of repentance is a turning away from sin to God, which requires a dramatic shift in direction and perspective. But what about the people that, that have undergone that change? I mean, for those, for those of us who are believers, we've already had that initial repentance, right? But there will still be times in our lives where a change of trajectory is necessary. And we'll talk about that shortly. But, but for now, the first time, the first time, repentant faith changes us from being God's enemy to being his son. You realize that? And I say son because it's son the son was who got the inheritance, men and women. We are sons of God by the grace of God. That's an incredible thought. We all receive the inheritance. So, so that ought to be a consistent theme in the life of a Christian. You know, repentance should be consistent. And y'all, please understand, okay? Your, your initial repentance and confession of faith and baptism, that is just the beginning. That is the very first Step of your, of your Christian walk. And those things need to happen close together. That's how it's always done in Scripture. Okay, you, I want to just say that. It is a lifelong uphill battle from there, though. 
You are a salmon, my friend, swimming upstream, and there are bears trying to get you. You cannot go with the flow. As a Christian, you must go against the flow. But thankfully, as David said, the Lord trains my hands for battle. He strengthens my arm. And so every believer is given the power to press on. But it must begin with a change of mind that results in turning away from sin and turning toward God. So let's keep reading. Um, I'm going to pick up in verse 22. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. Now remember, guys, again, the, the, the audience here, this was, this was a group of Israelites that Peter's talking to, okay? These are Jewish men and women to whom Moses would, would have been perceived as the most important prophet among all of their ancestors. And, and this is the guy through whom, you know, God led his people out of slavery, through whom God gave them the Levitical law and all this, the, the Ten Commandments. And so he briefly, he, he mentions, mentions Moses, he briefly brings up Samuel as kind of a, a banner to put under all the prophets, right? So he's appealing at this point to their sense of Jewishness, their sense of history, to their religious understanding, and he's simultaneously pointing them to the fulfillment of the very passage that he had just quoted from. Because who was the prophet that God raised up? Jesus. He was that prophet. And what should the people do? Listen to him and whatever he tells you, right? It's really interesting to me that we read, I think it was yesterday's reading in John. Jesus is before Pilate. And he says that anyone who listens to him belongs to the truth. Something to that effect. I thought that was interesting that that was this week. Because this is what's been on, you know, what hopefully what we're focusing on today is what it means to listen to Jesus. So anyway, putting this together with the previous paragraph, it's clear that part of repentance is listening to Jesus. Now, it, it's not explicitly stated in, in the English, but it's heavily implied in the Greek because listening doesn't just mean using your ears to discern sounds, it means obeying what you've been told. You know, in English, we say, yeah, I listened to them, I just didn't do what they said, right? That's rebellion. When it says, when the Greek says, listen to someone, that means do what you're told. So, to listen to Jesus is to obey Jesus. And upon establishing that, Peter then says, you are the sons of of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your, your father, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Again, he's appealing to their Jewishness. There, there are certain things that we read in scriptures that just won't mean as much to, to, to you and me as they would have meant to the original audience because we don't have that rich cultural heritage and background that the nation of Israel had. Peter's saying, you're the descendants 
of these people that I'm talking about. You're all partakers of God's divine covenant by blood. And his quotation from Genesis 12 is super meaningful. I don't know if you guys remember the promises God made to Abraham. If you go back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3, God said, leave your nation, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land which I will show you. Because remember, at that point, Moses was a worshiper uh, of, he lived in Ur. He was the worshiper of a moon god. But God revealed himself to Abraham and said, come away from there and go where I tell you. And Abraham did obey. He says, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. He says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And then this amazing, magnificent phrase, in you shall all the people of earth be blessed. All the nations, all the families, all the tribes of earth will be blessed. And it's interesting that Peter clarifies by saying, in your offspring, because that's exactly what happened through Jesus. Abraham had a son. You remember son's name? Isaac, right? The son of the blessing. He had a couple of sons named who? What? Jacob and Esau, right? He had Jacob and 20 some odd generations, you know. Down from that, there was, Jacob had a son named Judah. And through Judah's family line came Jesus Christ. With some pretty interesting characters thrown in. <laughs> Along comes Jesus. So, once again, Peter's reminding his Jewish audience that Jesus was, he was the fulfillment of all these prophecies. Then he returns to the matter at hand, which is he's preaching repentance. And that's where he says, God, having raised up his servant, because again, the cross, the, the cross has no proof without the empty tomb, right? So God, raising up his servant, sent him to you first, as in before the Gentiles, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. So again, we come back to what repentance looks like. It's a turning away from sins and turning toward God. And, and, it, and it's listening to Jesus and obeying him, right? But a huge part of both of those things is turning from wickedness. And y'all, th this is really important like for us to recognize, for us to grasp, okay? When God is convicting us that we need to stop sinning in, in, in a specific area, sometimes that's a harsh reality, right? Like we, we go, ah. Oh, I don't, I don't like how that feels, but, but we can't forget, the Bible says it's also a blessing. It's a blessing to be turned away from sin. There's a reason sin is called stumbling blocks in Scripture. It interrupts our relationship with the Father. It interrupts our relationship with the church, with other believers. It interrupts our relationship to ourself. It gets in the way. It is a blessing to be turning away from wickedness. Turning from wickedness means we can live in the reconciliation that Christ's death provided for us. Now again, initial, initial, like at the first repentance, okay, that is a change of direction where you turn from sin to God, from, from pride to humility, from darkness to light, to, from death to life. But after that, we believers will still experience times where our flesh leads us back into sin, don't we? We do. When that happens, because we are his children, 
God disciplines us rather than destroying us. He reveals the sin to us. His spirit convicts us of it. Okay? And, and we are, for, for believers who are sanctified, that sin ought to become repulsive. We should feel a revulsion toward the sin in our lives. That, that's sin because we see it as what it is. It's a hindrance in our relationship to our Heavenly Father. And, and there will be times, probably up until the day of our death, when, when we come across areas, specific areas, where we actually do have to do an about face, you know. We may have already made that initial repentance, but God reveals something else, and we've got to turn completely away from that because it's the wrong direction. And that about face has to occur in order, in order for healing to take place in our relationship to God. We must, if you're going to remember nothing else about this, remember this. We must consistently operate in a state of repentance. I'm going to say that again. For those of you who are already believers, you and I must consistently operate in a state of repentance. And we can do this gratefully because of the sacrifice of Christ. Because, yeah, guys, listen, God is patient, right? Is it, God is good. You know, he, it, it says in Scripture that, that he, he's, his desires that none should perish but all come to repentance. God is patient, but he doesn't wait forever. I want to remind you of the passage we opened with this morning. In Ezekiel 33, the Lord told the prophet Ezekiel that he would be responsible to warn the people if judgment is coming. Or in that case, that judgment was coming because that's where that story ended up going. God told him that if he warned the people and they didn't listen, then, then they, were, they were liable for whatever happened to them, right? But he also told Ezekiel that if he didn't warn the people, then he was responsible for their blood, and as one who, who speaks on God's behalf to his people, I don't want anybody's blood on my head. And so I want to state very clearly that you need to repent of sin, and I need to repent of sin, and I will continue to preach repentance of sin and turning to the Lord. I also don't want anyone to ignore that warning. And refuse to, to turn from their sins and then be destroyed. And guess what? Guess what? God feels the same way. He's out there going, <laughs> I can't wait to smite. No, that's not what God is doing. I mean, we, it was also in the, this morning's reading, right? What does God say? He says, this is verse 11. He says, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but would rather the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, he says. Turn back from your evil ways. God is, is, he is pleading with people to turn from sin and turn to him so that they can be blessed rather than destroyed. But see, here's the thing, that there's no middle ground. There's no, there's no middle position. It's one or the other. Obey the Lord and be blessed. Obey, receive, and believe and be, be blessed. Or reject the Lord and be under a curse. That's it. It's the only two options that we have. 
I want to draw your attention very quickly back to one line from the middle of our passage. God said through Moses, then Peter, that every soul who does not listen to that prophet, that's Jesus, shall be destroyed from the people. Last point, okay? Very simply put, every Christian needs to understand the necessity of repentance. It's no joke. It is a necessary thing. It's not an option that you can take or leave. It, it is an absolutely essential part of the process of putting your faith in Jesus Christ. We have to do it so that our soul won't be destroyed. And I, I'm being the watchman right now, friends. I, I, I see the sword coming. I know it's coming. And I'm issuing a warning. Repent, repent, repent. Turn from your sins and turn to God. Listen to Jesus. He gave his life. He laid it down willingly for you and for me. He died to pay for our sins and he rose from the dead. Because, listen, if you're hearing this and ignoring it, if you're choosing sin and self over the truth and over the life that's in Christ Jesus, then you are consigning yourself to the awful judgment of God. I'd like, I'd like to share a, a few verses from the book of Hebrews. I hope you will pay attention very carefully. The author writes, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. How much worse punishment, he says, do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified, and has outraged the spirit of grace. That's a horrifying concept to me. I accidentally skipped the part where he said, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think? is deserved by the one who tramples the cross, who profanes the blood. Think about this, y'all. If you believe the truth, you got to just ask yourself, so what's it going to be, right? What's it going to be? If you believe on Jesus, you will heed this warning. But remember, it's, it's, it's not just this bad news. The bad news is meant to remind us to cling ever so tightly to the good news of Jesus Christ, to our, our Lord, our Savior. You know, just like the Israelites back in the wilderness you know, God gives, he gives two options. One is trust and obey and be blessed. The other is don't trust and obey and be under a curse. It's real simple. And if you would like to begin the journey of, of trusting and obeying today, that means the Lord is doing a work of repentance in your, in your mind and in your heart. Your, your first step upon believing is to make a public profession of faith and be immersed according to the word of God. Just saying it one more time. Baptistry is warm today. Just want you to know that. It's warm. It's ready. It's ready for you. If you're a believer who's backslidden or, or if you're on the fence, then, then, then listen again to what Peter says. Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus. Will you stand?